Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Good morning. It's good to uh, be together as always, and thank you for leading us in worship uh, and song. It always seems to line up so well. How you do that, I don't know. If you ask me to pick five worship songs, I might, might be lucky if I can name two. So Ben does a really good job of uh, leading us. And I know we've told you this many times, but we're truly appreciative of the blessing of having you as part of uh, Sojourn. For the last several weeks, we've been in the book of 1 Peter, going verse uh, by verse. And Peter has been comforting his first century readers um, as they found themselves presently experiencing suffering and trials. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles this morning. We're going to pick up in 1 Peter. We'll be in chapter 1, looking at verses 8 and 9 this morning. Once again, 1 Peter 1, verses 8 and 9. In our first set of verses, we've seen Peter has been encouraging uh, these first century readers to rejoice even though they're in the midst of trials. They're in the midst of suffering and uh, really found themselves as walking as sojourners in a hostile land. Last week, we looked at the purpose of Christian suffering. And you've probably wondered, why do we suffer? And we saw how we can still have joy in the midst of our suffering, as hard as it is uh, to say that. We kind of nuanced that a little bit on Wednesday night, the difference between joy and happiness, that it's not one and the same, but that there is this joy that we can still have, knowing that it is temporary, knowing that it will not last forever, and that it proves the genuineness of our faith. And that's in the middle of those trials, in the middle of that suffering, that, that shows that we are actually following the Lord. Now this week we're going to pick back up, we're going to be looking at the blessing of faith. In C.S. Lewis's children's fairy tale, The Horse and His Boy, has anyone read that book, by the way? You've, okay, we've got one person here. I know we've got some C.S. Lewis fans, but uh, the horse and the boy. The main character, Shasta, is trying to escape from this foreign land to get home to Narnia. But on his journey, however, everything seems to go wrong. He keeps running into these wild lions in various ways. At one point on his journey, he finds himself kind of going through some fog and senses a presence guiding him through it. And there's a voice that begins this conversation with him. And Shasta speaks about his journey and says, don't you think it was bad luck to meet so many lions? There was only one lion, said the voice. What on earth do you mean? I was the lion. And as Ashta kind of gasped, the voice continues. I was the lion who forced you to join with Arabus. I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you while you slept. I was the lion who gave you the horse's new strength of fear for the last mile so you should reach King Loon in time. And I was the lion who you don't remember, who pushed you in the boat which you lay, a child near death, so that it came to shore where a man sat wakeful at midnight to receive you. I was that lion. What C.S. Lewis is doing in this story is he's remembering his own journey of faith. Faith for being an atheist if you know much about C.S. Lewis. You see, as you draw nearer to faith, you realize that the God you're coming to believe in was never actually passive. That the God you're coming to believe in was never actually that far away. That he was right there all along. You just couldn't see it. You just didn't maybe recognize it. So the reminder for us is that Jesus is alive. He is risen and he's actively seeking you. 
You know, I think about our, our city. I like to frame things our city a lot. You know, when you hear that C.S. Lewis was kind of like chief of atheists in my mind, he became this Christ follower, and we're the city full of atheists based on studies and stats, and we know some of these people, but the reality is that Jesus is alive. He's actively seeking those people around us. And in that, we can, we can celebrate that, that there's good news, and also kind of take some of that pressure off. Not, we have a role to play in that, but it's not ultimately up to us to convince those people, but that God is in our midst, and he's working in our midst. And so we're going to be looking at verses 8 and 9. And what Peter's going to do, he's going to give us one definitive reason. That no matter what's happening around us, no matter what you're facing right now in your life, you have a reason and cause to rejoice in the blessing of faith. Let me pray for us one more time and we'll get into our text. God, we come to you. We ask you to remove me. Allow your word to be alive and well and not return void. God, we know your, your spirit is present here with us, so we ask that you speak to us now. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 8. It says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so our first point this morning is blessed are those who believe apart from seeing. So Peter begins with this amazing statement this morning. And on the nature of the Christian life, he said, without seeing him, or without having seen him, you love him. Now, Peter himself, easy for him to write this. I always kind of put myself in the audience shoes and go like, Peter, you actually saw Jesus. Peter, you walked with Jesus during his ministry on earth. You had meals with Jesus. In fact, Peter was one of only three eyewitnesses of what is, uh, his majesty when Jesus was transfigured on a mountaintop. So it's easy for Peter to say that. But we relate more to the audience he's writing to. These Christians in Asia Minor have never seen Jesus physically. They didn't witness Jesus' ministry or his death or his resurrection. Yet it says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Think about the Old Testament. We see Israel's wandering through the wilderness under the physical presence of a cloud of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. They were believing in one in whom they were seeing, that they saw these signs of the, of the, of the, the, the smoke and, and, and the fire. This was not the case for Peter's audience, and this is not the case for us. Like Israel, we are sojourners in a hostile land. We don't have Jesus' physical body and presence guiding us on a daily basis. It might make it a little bit easier, right? I mean, I could just sit every week and Jesus would come and, and, and kind of go around. But that's why our faith is not dependent on present manifestations of Jesus. We shouldn't be looking for them either. I know I like to pick on certain tribes of Christians. That's because I was part of some of these tribes. I'm still part of them, and we're all one in Christ, and so I get all that. But there's certain tribes, and they love seeking signs and wonders. And that's almost all they talk about. I got to where that was like a trigger point for me when I'd hear signs and wonders, because I knew where the service was going. Remember last week, I talked about my uncle, who was always looking for gold dust and gold teeth, and... These are the signs that I need in order to, that God showed up and that God was actually here. But to some degree, we all do this. Because many of us, more than like to admit it, we're like a certain apostle. I'd be curious. We're not going to take the time. But if I went around and said, who's your favorite apostle? Which one do you relate to the most? Some of you I know because you've told me. But I rarely, if ever, actually hear Thomas. Many of us want to be Peter. 
At least as we're looking at this, Peter was the rock, right? Like, we want to be Peter. Does anyone remember Thomas's nickname? Doubting Thomas. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to look back at John 20, which should be on the, the screen behind me. In John 20, verses 24 and 25, it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. You see, Thomas, better known as Doubting Thomas, he needed physical evidence in order to believe. He needed to actually see Jesus. He needed to stick his, his finger into the holes and finger into the side. And I wonder how many of us are this way. We constantly doubt, even in the midst of God's faithfulness, time and time again. A little further in the story, in John 20, verses 26 through 29, should also be on the slide behind me, it says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it into my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Did you catch what Jesus said? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now, if most of us had the choice, let's just be honest with each other. If we had the choice of seeing Jesus and getting to touch Jesus and put our finger into his hands and to his side versus just having faith in Jesus, my guess is most of us would choose, like, I want to see Jesus. Like, I want to make sure that I haven't made a mistake and that my faith isn't wrong. Like, I want to have the physical presence. So my guess is that's what most of us would choose. But Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believed. So why is it a greater blessing to believe without seeing or touching him? Here's why. Because believing in something that you saw and touched is called knowledge. And I think a lot of us, if you grow up in church, we have the knowledge. We're not illiterate. <laughs> we can read, and there's more resources and books and translations of Bibles, everything we can read. We have the knowledge. And even many who had the knowledge, who actually physically saw him, turned away and chose not to believe in him, refusing to believe in who he said he was and is. But when you believe in something without seeing it, when you believe in something without touching it, it's called faith. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And it's a faith that unlocks the door to the heart of God. And so our belief today is not based on seeing, not in the sense that Thomas was able to physically touch and stick his hand into his side and to his hand. And so genuine, genuine, purified faith is not based in those times when you're seeing and experiencing the faithfulness of God in a tangible way. We all have those seasons, and we, we, we long for those seasons, right? I mean, even this week, I was on a tour. Some of you know this. I was on a tour with a bunch of pastors from Texas. I had to spend two days with these guys. 
And we were going over to different church plants and church planters, and they all got their chance to kind of felt like being on Shark Tank. They got their chance to kind of say, this is what we're doing, this is why you should partner with us. Now, I was not one of those, but I was asked to help and did some devotionals and things. And I, I, I found myself hearing these stories going, man, you would hear like, man, God's blessing this church and this person. And I kind of found myself going, hey, God, what about me? I'm right here, God. And I realized that God's not necessarily going to bless me the same way. And so when I think about this in the, frame of, in the sense of faith, genuine faith is evidence when we feel that God has forgotten us. That we don't know where God is. That wrestling on the bathroom floor that we talked about last week with Nightbird, that's when you see genuine faith. That we continue to believe Him in faith, through faith, even though we're confused, even though we're not sure, and even though we maybe find ourselves wrestling with God. And so we do this by believing God and trusting His Word where he has already spoken to us and told us the truth about himself, that we go back to his words and say, what have you said about yourself, God? Because I'm really struggling to believe it. Remind me what your character, God. Remind me your faithfulness. Remind me why I'm able to endure. And then regardless how we feel in this present moment, as we look back to last week, it's a momentary affliction that we are dealing with and what that we are experiencing. My friend Matt Carter, he said, all throughout the New Testament, when people were attracted to Jesus because of physical power, he ran them off. But when he saw people who had faith apart from his physical power, he marveled at it. Jesus marveled at the faith of those who had faith apart from him physically doing anything. We see these stories. I'm, I'm reading through the Gospel of Mark with a couple of the guys from the church in our table. And it's cool because we do see that. We'll, we'll see people come up and, and Jesus is like, he's, he's not in a hurry to get to their house, and they're like, this person's going to die, and they're like, if you just say it, if I just have faith, apart from actually Jesus doing anything. You don't have to go to my house. I've got this faith because I know, I know that you can do it. We see those who were fully convinced that he was God, and he was able to sit, do what he said he would do apart from actually witnessing a miracle, apart from actually watching the miracle that others got to see take place. And so this is the blessing of faith. Faith that if God said it, you believe it. And that's the picture that we see here in verse, in verse 8. Now our second point this morning is that saving faith gives us an inexpressible joy. So we do not see Jesus, not as Peter did, not as Peter got to experience, not even as Thomas did. But if we know him, we love him and trust him, we see that the second part of verse 8 says, You rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Have you ever experienced inexpressible joy? Like a joy that you just, you don't know how to express it. Like you're so almost overwhelmed. A joy so profound that it leaves you speechless. And we see earlier in, in, in the first seven verses that Peter spoke of a strong rejoicing in our future hope, what we're attaining to, what we're going towards. But here he says our personal daily fellowship with Christ is himself calls for an even greater rejoicing. A rejoicing that is inexpressible. Now you guys know I can talk. Okay? You don't have to amen that, but you know I can talk. And so um, it's, it's very rare I've experienced this kind of inexpressible joy. Because often my joy is expressed in, you know, dancing around or jumping around or using my hands or <laughs> saying something. But I can think of a couple times, at least initially, that I had an inexpressible joy. My engagement with Andrea... All I could initially do was hug her and kiss her. Okay? We don't have a video like Ben and Julia, thankfully. <laughs> but 
But then eventually I was running through the streets of Argentina yelling in broken Spanish, we're getting married, we're getting married. The birth of my three boys. It's, it's something, unless you've experienced it, unless you've gone through it, it's, it's, it's inexpressible. The miraculous birth of a, of, a, of a child. I'd say even more for the mother. Obviously, I'm not a mother. I can't ever go through that. But a mother who carried this child as part of her for nine months in her body. And then, and then is able to help provide nourishment for that baby. And so maybe your experiences of inexpressible joy are similar to mine. Or perhaps they're totally different. Maybe a surprise from, you know, you see those movies where um, someone went off to war and they were gone for a couple years, you know, and all of a sudden they sneak back into the airport or something. The family knows who they were going to see. And they just stand there and cry or just hug. Like, you know, imagine those things are inexpressible joy. Or maybe the person who's got cancer and they get that call from their doctor. Hey, we did that, that scan. And guess what? You're cancer free and we don't think you'll ever deal with it again. I can imagine, I've heard stories of friends who've gone through those things and just said, man, it was just an inexpressible joy in that moment. It's almost left me paralyzed from the joy of like, are you serious? I'm no longer going to deal with this any longer. And so Peter is saying, as a believer, Christ gives you a reason to rejoice this way. But he doesn't stop there. He says it is filled with glory. Now last week we saw how we receive glory. We may not fully know what this means, but often in the New Testament it refers to these, these crowns of glory. But here he's using the word doxology, which is the highest level of praise. So he says, you will receive this glory. And so Peter is saying that when the trials and suffering of life come into your life, and they will. You know, if you're, if you're in the middle of suffering right now and you're kind of going, why God? Just go, it's, it's natural. You're being human. That's why. You won't necessarily understand why those trials are there. We won't always give, be given the explanation that we want for the suffering that takes, takes place. But somehow, we can find an inexpressible joy even in the middle of the trial. It's a joy that results from being in the presence of God himself. A joy that even now partakes of the character of heaven. We talked the idea of heaven coming to earth and in Portland as it is in heaven. There's this, there's this joy that we'll fully have there, but we can have a little bit of it now. In the middle of not understanding it's the joy of heaven before heaven, experienced in the fellowship with the unseen Christ. I've watched numerous videos, maybe as you have as well, of what's happening in Ukraine right now. Some are just completely heartbreaking and disturbing and causes tears to come into our eyes. But I've also seen a few videos of, of, of Christians, Christian families or even churches who, at least early in the first few days, got together and they were worshiping the way that we were worshiping this morning. And expressing, I'm like, this is a, an inexpressible joy and, and glory in the middle of literally a war-torn conflict that they're able to stand there and to praise God and trusting in God. The worst that can happen to them, and they know this, is death. A death that would result in life. Which is why they're able to still lift up their praise and their glory. Something that's really inexpressible, unexplainable. I've never had experience what they're experiencing. And I have to actually ask myself, would I be able to do the same? I think I'd be running for the hills. Hopefully I'm godly enough to take my family with me. I'm not sure that I would, I would be standing there. But seeing their faith has inspired me. Which brings us to point number three. The outcome of faith is eternal salvation. Look at me one more time at verses 8 and 9 together. 
It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So Peter says his readers are receiving or, or obtaining the goal or the outcome of their faith. As they are believing in Christ and rejoicing with him. The verb obtaining is a present participle. We see that it's kind of progressive, that you're getting more and more of it. You're getting closer and closer to the outcome. You're getting closer and closer to the goal. We, we talked about last week in the Winter Olympics, right? You do all this training and sacrifice, and somebody's go through the suffering. As you're getting closer and closer, the Olympics actually happen, happening, and that your goal there is to win the goal. And so here's about how we're obtaining our salvation. We're getting further and further, more and more like Christ. And that salvation then must be here, used here to refer to the full possession of the blessing of salvation. And so this process happens, Peter says. As Christians continually believe in Christ, choosing to believe in Christ without seeing, choosing to believe in Christ on the hard days, choosing to believe in Christ when you're in the middle of the suffering and the trial, and that as a result, we can continually rejoice and have this joy because of our trust in Him. It's kind of like a day-by-day faith. I describe my life a lot of times as failing forward. And I think my faith journey can be described that same way. That I'm keeping one foot in front of the other, but sometimes I get tripped up. And sometimes I fall this way. Sometimes I might even fall back. But it's continuing to move forward, going towards the goal that is mine in Christ. A continual growth toward Christian maturity. The big theological word we use a lot of times is sanctification. That we're just getting sanctified to be more and more like Christ in our lives. And so like the fairy tale character Shasta or Thomas the Apostle, you may come in amazement to see that Christ was walking right beside you throughout the trials of life. That should be comforting to us. That regardless of what we're experiencing, whatever we're going through, and we may not always see it, we may not always see him working, we may not understand it, but that he's right there with us in the middle when nobody else is, in the middle of the loneliness, in the middle of, of the junk of life that we have to deal with feeling when we're abandoned by our friends and family sometimes, that God is right there in the middle working. Working in a way that we may not understand and working in a way that we may never fully see, but that he's with us working. And so I said, we can't ultimately make it through the trials of this life apart from Christ. But what Scripture also teaches us, and I want to kind of go back to Thomas just real briefly, is that Jesus takes different approaches with different types of people. Think about personality types. Think about your uh, Myers-Briggs and all those different things, your DISC assessment, and there's on and on and on. There's so many of those things now. I think, why is that? Because there is no template. Just do these three steps and you're following Christ faithfully and you're, and you're now following Christ a certain way. My point is that the picture that we see of Jesus is that he meets each person where they're at. He meets them where they're at in their journey. He actually meets them in their point of need. Isn't that awesome? Like, even if we just took time today and share all of our own stories, there might be some overlap, similarities. Ultimately, Jesus is that overlap and that Jesus saved me from myself and from the mess of my life and brokenness. But each story would be different. And some of you might be, oh, yeah, I was sitting in a church service. Somebody invited me to. Or it might be I grew up in church and then I realized as I was older. Or it might be I was far from God, never in church. And then I realized all these different journeys 
Let me think of the song that Ben sang. says, I am who you say I am. And that ultimately it's, it's in who Christ says that we are. But he meets us in our point of need. To some, he speaks personally. To others, we see he allows them to figure it out. Seemingly, he's at work, but he kind of lets them kind of process it and logically put things together. But he gives everyone what they need when they need it to obtain the salvation of their souls. As Jesus is inviting all of us on a journey of learning what it means to follow him, a journey that will be unique to you as you follow him with a saving faith. So I just one really point of application or question of application for us this week. I'm going to finish with this one simple question. You've never seen God, but do you love him? You've never seen God, but do you believe in him? Do you trust him? If you do, that's called faith. That's the blessing of faith. Even if it's a mustard seed of faith. We talk about the mustard seed in scripture, like the smallest of seeds. Like you wouldn't hardly be able to see it up here. And so even if your faith is barely hanging on by a thread, and we find ourselves there, do we not? Even if it's barely hanging on, we don't, we don't usually preach that in church, right? We feel like we show up to a gathering and it's like, I'm at 100, but he's like, I might be back here. Even if you're barely hanging on by a thread, that is faith and you have a reason to rejoice with an inexpressible joy because Jesus sees your faith. Jesus sees your faith and it doesn't ultimately depend on you. We see the smallest amount of faith moves his heart and he marvels at it. Some of you need to believe this more than you believe your disobedience. Some of you need to believe this more than your doubts and your questioning. Because if you have faith, that is all you need to apply this to your life. And so rejoice today, even if you are suffering, because God is pleased with you by your faith. And this is a really good, fresh reminder for us. Your standing with God is not based on your righteousness. And so if you barely have that faith you're hanging on, it's not based on you. It's based on Christ's righteousness. And so even in a moment of failure, even in a moment of suffering, even in a moment of questioning, you can run to him, not from him. And so if, if you have faith today, believe in him. And here's his promise, that there is coming a day when you will see him, when we will see Jesus face to face, just as Thomas did, just as, as Peter did, and when our faith will become sight. And until then, we can fix our eyes on Jesus and run the path that he has uniquely set out for us. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to respond a few different ways this morning. God, we thank you for the gift, the blessing of faith. God, we're reminded this morning that it is blessed to have faith apart from seeing you. But God, at the same time, we thank you for meeting each and every one of us at our point of need. God, that some of us need, needed to find you a different way. God, that you haven't given us a one-size-fits-all, but God, that you've allowed us to be invited on this unique journey of learning what it means to follow you. And God, we see that you are pleased with our faith, that, that our faith gives us an inexpressible joy. Because you are who you said you are. And because you did the things that you said you would do. God, we love you. We give our time of response over to you. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. 
We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.